You're listening to Grounded, a podcast by the Oregon Department of Energy. Welcome, Grounded listeners. I am your host, Erica Hirsch, and today I have two dynamic guests that are going to talk to us about the energy storage technology that is pump storage hydropower. First, we'll meet with Rebecca Smith. She's a senior energy policy analyst here at Odo. And then we will check in with Eric Steinley. Eric is Rye Development's vice president of project development. I hope you find their interviews as fascinating as I did and have fun learning about what Eric says could be the cornerstone of the Pacific Northwest clean energy economy. As always, please forgive any audio challenges. We are still conducting all interviews remotely. Let's listen. Welcome. I am so glad you're here today with us on Grounded. Can you please introduce yourself? Of course. Hi, my name is Rebecca Smith, and I am a senior energy policy analyst at Odo. And uh, I've been in the field of climate change abatement and renewable energy for over 14 years. And I feel really lucky to be working in energy at this time in history where the industry is going through momentous change uh, as we work to decarbonize our energy sources. Yeah, I like the way you said that. I haven't heard it quite put like that before, but this is uh, interesting and major time in history for energy. Well said. So, Rekha, I invited you here today to talk about pump storage hydropower. Storage right now is a hot topic, and I'm just recently discovering more about storage when it comes to pumped hydropower. And I would love to to get your your insight on it, some of the basics when it comes to the technology, how it is used, if it is at all in Oregon, and uh, some of the the pros and cons, and hopefully where where we see it going. How does that sound for you? Let's do it. I love it. Okay, so first of all, can you explain to us what pump storage power is? Pump storage hydropower, or if I'm even saying that correctly. (laughs) Pump storage hydropower, or just pump storage. So sure, so there's two things going on with pump storage. First, there is the energy storage dimension and why it's important to the grid. And then there's the whole hydropower and technology side of it. So let's start with energy storage and why we should care about it, which means we need to start with how the grid works. And I promise this will be painless. Uh, So the electric grid must be kept in balance at all times with respect to supply of electricity and demand of electricity. That's just the way that electricity works and grid operators have to keep a constant frequency uh, and voltage going. And with our current technologies, you know, we do have some energy storage for electricity, but it's, you know, it's still hard and expensive to store it in large quantities, certainly not the way we can gold, uh, sorry, coal or natural gas. So when the demand for electricity goes up, say when most people finish their workday and turn on the TV or start preparing dinner, Electricity to meet that demand has got to be generated and delivered to the grid in real time. Now, failure to do that, to keep that supply and demand for electricity balanced, can destabilize the grid. And that can lead to brownouts and blackouts, all sorts of things you don't want to happen. So balancing of the grid is trickiest during times of peak demand. And peak demand can be seasonal as in whether your area is considered winter peaking or summer peaking. And it can also be for um, specific hours during a day, every day. 
here in the Northwest, we are considered a winter peaking system. Uh, that's because we have our highest demand for electricity in the winter. A lot of that goes towards, uh, you know, keeping buildings warm. But with warmer temperatures on the rise, we are pivoting to a summer peaking grid here. Oh, that's and, interesting. Okay. Yeah. So anyway, balancing is hard. Uh, not the least of which because grid operators don't have a crystal ball. They forecast, but they don't sure. know perfectly what demand or supply is going to be. And anything can also happen. What if a generating plant gets tripped offline? What if for some reason, 2 million people plug in their electric kettle at the same time? You know, can you get enough electricity from a different resource to make up that difference? And then there's another wrinkle. <laughs> and that is that we're in the process of decarbonizing our grid out here in the West. And that means we're adding more and more renewable power sources to our portfolio and many of them don't run 24 seven. They're intermittent, you know, solar works sure. when the sun is shining. You know, same with wind power and wind. Uh, and wind power, the windiest periods are usually at night, late at night. But that unfortunately is also when the demand for electricity is lowest. So to wrap it up, we've got to keep our grid in balance at all times between supply and demand. We are requiring that more of that electricity is renewable. Um, but renewable energy isn't always available when we need it. So wouldn't it be great if we could just store some of that electricity, sure. <laughs> like from those wind turbines late at night, and right, then right. we could use it when we most need it. That is energy. You would think. And that's why <laughs> but I have so a feeling. Interested. Yeah, I have a feeling it's not that simple as just putting it, putting the extra in, in some Tupperware or something. <laughs> <laughs> no. It's, no. Okay. <laughs> true story. So it is, uh, you know, we do have energy storage for electricity right now, but it is expensive and it's hard to store a lot at a time. So, you know, we have kind of a couple different kinds of energy storage. We have what's called mechanical storage. And so that makes use of gravity or kinetic force and our pumped hydro, which I haven't forgotten about, I'm going to get to, Thermal storage is another one that makes use of heating and cooling materials. And we have chemical storage. So that's where all of those lithium ion batteries would fit. Oh, yep. And then there's electromagnetic storage. And please don't ask me to talk more about that. <laughs> it's, part, it's part of the team. We're okay. <laughs> we won't go into that today. Okay. So now we've tackled energy storage and why it's important. Now let's talk about hydropower. So at the most simplest, hydropower is the generation of electricity from moving water. And most commonly, that's going to mean a hydroelectric dam that is set within a river or on a reservoir. Now, the reservoir of a hydropower facility itself can be considered a form of energy storage. Because if you need more electricity, you can just let more water through the dam to get to the right. turbine. Mm -hmm. Okay. But out here in the Northwest, most of our hydropower is not from dams with these big reservoirs. We have what's called run of river systems. And so those are a lot more limited in terms of how they can ramp generation up and down. So, but what if you could ensure that you had enough water to keep those hydroelectric turbines running whenever you needed them? So that is where pump storage comes in. So. Think of a loop system where you have water from an upper reservoir and 
it's forced to fall from a height and then it powers these turbines to generate electricity. Now, if you captured some or all of that water and then pumped it back up the hill, back up to that reservoir, you could run it through the turbines again and again. That is pump storage. And it's been in use as an energy storage technology since the late 1800s. Wow. So I take it the energy that's used to pump it back up is it, it's worth it because there, there is some subtraction, I would think, out of the, the net energy that you're getting because it does take energy or power to get it back up. Yeah, there's okay. no free lunch. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there we go. <laughs> <laughs> but it takes so little electricity to pump the water back up compared to what you can get from okay. running it through the turbines that a lot of these facilities have something like 70, 80% round trip efficiency. That's pretty good. Okay. Yeah, 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 I would think so too. Okay, that's helpful. So you would think since this is water that it is renewable energy source, but again, I'm learning about this, is in the whole, is this considered a renewable energy source? Uh, great question. And not maybe as straightforward as you might think. <laughs> and first off, it really depends on what you're asking. Is pump hydropower renewable in that it has low or zero greenhouse gas emissions and can be replenished frequently in a short time frame, which is a common definition for renewable energy? That answer is yes. But, okay. you know, it, you could also be asking if it's eligible for renewable energy policies like the Renewable Portfolio Standard right, or right. RPS. Okay. Yes, I'm curious that's a little about more that. Complicated. So that's a little bit more complicated. And energy storage in general, whatever kind, is not considered inherently renewable. What makes the difference is whether the electricity being stored was originally generated from renewable resources. So in the case of pumped hydro, I mean, you have hydropower, which is considered renewable by a lot of policies. It may not always be eligible, but that's usually just because the facilities are so old um, okay. and these policies were meant to incentivize new facilities, but it's not saying that they're not renewable. Um, so if you use the electricity, uh, if the electricity that you use by a pumped hydro facility to move that water back up to the higher reservoir is renewable, then the output from that facility could be considered renewable for an RPS. That is the case in California, um, but only if the facility meets a number of requirements. Essentially, it has to meet their, their requirements for a small hydropower facility. And right now in Oregon, our RPS doesn't address energy storage eligibility. Uh, but there is work going on at the Public Utility Commission to update rules on this. So at least in terms of whether or not it's renewable eligible in Oregon, the question is maybe. Sure. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's helpful. All right. Um, so, so this is a good balancing point for us. Can you share what you feel are some of the pros and cons when it comes to this? Yeah. Um, let's start with the drawbacks. So, okay. First, pump storage facilities need water to operate, and water is an increasingly valuable resource. Certainly out here in the West, we've got drought. Um, if the facility is a closed loop system, however, then almost all of the water is reused. And so 
there's likely just a small need for ongoing replenishment. And in that sense as well, the facility wouldn't likely have any interaction with existing waterways or aquatic life. Um, but some of those open loop systems, you may get into some of those issues, some of those right. yeah. environmental issues that we have with hydropower in general. And that can be just effect on, on fish and wildlife and aquatic mm -hmm. environments. Um, but pump storage facilities also have really high upfront capital costs. Uh, you mm -hmm. know, it's almost like building a hydropower dam. Um, sure. And they can take a number of years to be successfully sited and built. But for on the pro side, uh, pump storage is currently one of the most cost effective options for utility scale grid storage. Uh, certainly much more cost effective than lithium iron battery storage. And the Electric Power Research Institute or EPRI uh, did a 2016 analysis and found that pump storage is one of the lowest cost forms of energy storage on a levelized cost basis. And unlike batteries, pump storage can provide longer duration energy storage, seasonal energy storage. And so it's really considered by many um, uh, an important building block to decarbonize the grid faster by allowing us to better integrate more and more intermittent renewables onto the system. Fascinating. So yeah, so let's bring it home. Is this energy being used here in Oregon or the Pacific Northwest currently? Well, there's great interest in pump storage in the West and due in large part to the fact that Oregon, Washington, and California all have very aggressive renewable energy goals. And Washington has had a pump storage facility in operation uh, up near Grand Coulee since 1973. Wow. Here in Oregon, we have projects that are in the development process. And so we have two right now. One is Swan Lake and the other is Owyhee. All right. Uh, so Rebecca, let's let's wrap it up. And this is where I'm you know, extremely curious about your own personal thoughts. Where do you see the, the future of this? You said it already that it has a potential to be a really big component for the grid. So the potential of it here specifically in Oregon. Sure. Well, what we really need is energy storage, uh, especially that long duration seasonal energy storage that can last for hours or weeks. And the need for that is only gonna get more acute as we transition to a decarbonized electricity grid. And whatever that technology that ends up being the best and most cost effective, I, I don't know yet. Um, it could be pump storage, it could be something else. Uh, the National Renewable Energy Lab or NREL considers pump storage, compressed air, and hydrogen as three of the most promising candidates for long duration storage right now. So pump storage is farther along uh, in terms of commercialization. Uh, and that's why we're seeing all of these projects popping up for development. Now, hydrogen isn't quite ready for prime time, not without a big drop in costs, but that could change quickly in the near future. There's a lot of interest in hydrogen as well. Uh, not only for energy storage, but for other projects, which could help reduce the cost. So while pump storage can be very cost-effective utility-scale storage, these projects take years to be sited and permitted and built. So sure. I don't know whether we'll see a boom in pump storage deployed in the West, or perhaps hydrogen or compressed air will catch up in terms of cost and be more attractive. Anything can happen. 
All I know is is that I'm glad we have options because to facilitate this renewable grid that we're all striving for, we're going to need a lot of energy storage and likely of all kinds. Yeah, that makes sense. Wow, Rebecca, you are so fascinating. This topic itself um, has intrigued me and thank you for coming and sharing this with us. Thank you so much for having me on Grounded. Now we'll meet with Eric Steinle from Rye Development. Hello and welcome, Eric. I'm so excited that you can join us here today on Grounded and let's get started. Could you please introduce yourself? Uh, yes, uh, my name is Eric Steinle and I'm a vice president uh, with a company called Rye Development. Uh, and Rye is one of the larger developers of new low impact certifiable hydropower uh, in the United States. Uh, and uh, specifically, um, we're working on a couple of different types of hydropower, new hydropower at non-power dams uh, and closed loop pump storage uh, here in the Pacific Northwest. What inspired you to work with hydropower? I was able to look you up a little bit and it seems like you've been been in this field for a while. Yeah, no, I've been uh, have just a little more than two decades of experience in the developing and, and permitting of new renewable energy. A lot of that has been focused on new hydropower. And what inspires me about working specifically on hydropower is being able to work on projects that are adding uh, meaningful jobs uh, or job opportunities to rural, especially rural areas uh, in the U.S., um, as well as providing new carbon-free electricity to the grid. Um, that's, of course, true for other renewables like wind and solar, of course. Uh, but with hydropower, um, we're able to add on-demand renewable electricity um, to a system. Um, and, you know, on-demand resources, as you know, are primarily reserved for coal and, and natural gas generation uh, for quite some time. So also as a, a lifelong Oregonian, it's exciting to continue to be engaged um, in, in new renewable projects here, um, of course, as we as we focus on uh, decarbonization. Yeah, yeah, exciting times. Thank you for that. Okay, so let's let's dig right in. Can you tell us about some of the projects you're working on that involves this technology? Sure, uh, so our projects here in the Pacific Northwest are a particular type of hydropower. You know, everyone, most people in the US are, and especially the Pacific Northwest have seen hydropower in some form. Our proposed Goldendale Energy Storage Project can can store excess wind energy produced locally in the Eastern Gorge for 12 to 20 hours. Uh, Can also generate 1200 megawatts of electricity, which is enough power to, um, excuse me, which is enough power uh, to power about a half a million homes in the Pacific Northwest uh, for up to 12 hours. Uh, I guess just one thing I would add too for your listeners, there's a lot of um, visual depictions of this type of technology on the project-specific website, uh, which is www.goldendaleenergystorage.com. Perfect. Uh, and I'm going to I'm going to hop in right there. So with the visuals, yeah. what is it when you're there at the site and this process happens? Can you hear anything? Can you feel anything in your feet? <laughs> I'm just thinking. Yeah. To me, a pretty impressive process. Yeah, no, you wouldn't be able to feel anything in your feet, but that's a great question. Uh, you know, these projects, uh, while they're pretty significant in in scale, the actual visual components on the landscape are pretty limited. Uh, the Goldendale project 
the largest visible components are essentially two 60-acre ponds on the landscape. Um, and the, the piping and other infrastructure and powerhouse that connect the two is all subsurface. It's all underground. Um, and construction involves tunneling between these two, these two reservoirs. So not a lot of it is visible. Um, and of course, you know, if you're right at the project vicinity, you would have some, um, you would be able to hear some of the project, uh, primarily in the form of water, you know, moving sure. and, and circulating in the reservoirs. Interesting. Okay. Thank you for that. Yeah. You know, just, you know, a couple other things about the technology is we experienced uh, in June here in the Pacific Northwest, extreme weather events and wildfires, primarily now caused by climate change, have put a huge strain on our grid. Um, storage, like pump storage, is pretty critical to ensuring people can access power when they need it. Um, and of course, save people's lives and help prevent major disruptions to the economy. There's a lot of talk about storage, right? One thing, another thing to point out about this technology is that pump storage hydro accounts for 95% of all the utility scale storage here in the United States. How about here in the Northwest? This type of technology is not currently being used in any kind of real scale in the in the Pacific Northwest. Okay. Um, we haven't built a new facility in the United States. So there's 39 of these facilities that are currently in operation in the U.S. Uh, there's a considerable number of them that have been either constructed or under construction just in the past 10 years or so globally. So a lot of those have been in Europe, uh, in the Middle East and in Asia, and they're all tied to adding a large amount of wind and solar into the system. Primary reason that we're focused on these projects now is that to a large extent, as we started adding wind and solar, into the grid in the Pacific Northwest, we already had an existing hydropower system that was able to flex um, quite a bit and accommodate the intermittency of those types of resources. Um, we're of course well beyond the era of building large new dams and large in river hydro projects. So as we move closer and closer to decarbonizing the grid, that meant that we needed to rely on um, fossil fuel generation to balance out that intermittency or now that we're not going to do that based on popular demand and of course policy that follows it, we need to rely on storage. So, you know, for states like Oregon, uh, having pump storage as a possible resource option is, is, is just great. I mean, it's a great resource as we consider, you know, the other costs um, and equitable factors that go into thinking about storage and decarbonization, especially considering as well that it's likely that transportation is going to become more and more linked with the electrical grid uh, in the next decade or so. Yeah, we can see that. So to, to go way back, do you know, and if so, can you share with us the, the origin of this technology? Was it something, you know, to harness this power, this storage? I see you shaking your head for our listeners. Please share. Yeah, I yeah, know. Most of the projects in the United States um, were built uh, and paired with nuclear facilities uh, where, you know, there was a, a strong demand um, in a given region for electricity. Uh, and it's very expensive for those uh, baseload generation facilities to come offline um, or to ramp up or ramp down. And so in an area that would have, you know, a, a particular demand for electricity during the day that, of course, peaks in the afternoon uh, in most places, um, instead of 
absorbing the cost of building a second nuclear type facility or other baseload facility, you could have the pump storage project um, take on the additional power um, put out by the plant that was unnecessary or not, not utilized in the system during those evening hours, right? And then during peak periods of the day, you could put that energy back onto the grid. Uh, mm-hmm. So that's that's how most of them um, were originally uh, planned and incorporated into the grid. Now, uh, the biggest change there, of course, has been in states where the demand for renewables and and um, uh, storage has been, you know, has has been in place for a while. So you can point to California, of course, they have existing pump storage like the Castaic project um, and where they were originally developed for a completely different purpose at this point, you know, they are really the workhorse um, as far as dealing with intermittency from solar, especially, and keeping the lights on um, as the grid becomes more and more reliant on renewable electricity. Yeah, super interesting. Okay, thank you for that. Uh, How about some cons? Yeah, I mean, some of the cons of the the technology itself is that a, a lot of I mean, just talk about hydropower in general is that a lot of the existing pump storage that's out there is what we refer to as an open loop type project. So either one or both of the reservoirs um, would rely on existing uh, navigable waterway or reservoir and have impacts on water quality or um, other aquatic you know, aquatic organisms, fish, uh, which is, of course, as we know in the Pacific Northwest, is a is an extremely um, uh, delicate issue. Um, the projects that we're proposing, however, here in in Oregon and Washington, are what are called closed loop projects. Um, so we're building two new artificial reservoirs on the landscape, and and not proposing those you know the types of hydropower that would build a new dam on an existing uh, existing water body. Um, I would also say, you know, there's there are some limitations to the to the technology as far as appropriate geology uh, and geography. You need, you know, at least around four or five hundred vertical feet of relief, which, you know, is, you know, we can look pretty much out any window in the Pacific Northwest and see that kind of relief. But it's a technology that <laughs> um, will be less available in, in areas of, of the Midwest and Texas and the South um, sure. as those areas um, also are considering the types of storage that they're going to have to incorporate into their system uh, as, again, as coal, especially coal and, and some thermals start to come offline here in the next decade. Right. That makes sense. Okay. So looking to the future and beyond, what are, with your your experience, your, your background, your history, and now working with these current projects, what do you see? What are your thoughts or intuitions about the, the future of this technology? No, that's great. I, you know, we see, I really see pump storage hydro as the cornerstone of the Pacific Northwest's clean energy economy. Uh, big storage, along with other technologies such as rooftop solar and storage, are going to be needed in order to transition our grid away from fossil fuels. Uh, pump storage hydro is the most common form of utility scale storage in the U.S. and, and will continue to be in the foreseeable future. Uh, it's reliable. Uh, it's dependable, cost-effective, and you know, running and constructing these facilities provide good-paying jobs for people, um, and economic in excuse me, and economic opportunities in, in rural communities here in the Pacific Northwest. 
I mean, simply stated, when the sun isn't shining and the wind isn't blowing, pump storage will allow our grid managers to deliver renewable energy to individuals, businesses, hospitals, uh, and other critical infrastructure uh, to ensure power is not interrupted and carbon free. Yeah, yeah, I love that. What a great way to to bring that home. All right, Eric, that's all we have time for today. You have been wonderful. I am so glad that you had time to come talk to me. I really wanted some some information on this. It's such a hot topic right now, and uh, you've been wonderful for our listeners. And I hope you have a great day out there, and hopefully in the future I can follow up with you. That sounds great. Thank you very much for the opportunity, Erica. Well, that's it for us today, folks. Be sure to check out our episode page on energyinfo.gov. We have great resource links there and more information about our guests. Thank you so much for joining me. And until next time, stay grounded.